Hi folks, welcome to today's podcast. I'm coming at you live from London. I'm still broadcasting from home as my podcast studio is still not open at the moment. So you will be hearing my dogs barking in the background today. I hope that it's worth that, um, putting up with that noise. There we go, a demonstration. To hear from my amazing guest today. Um, I, I Just before I tell you a little bit about the guest and, and, and bring my first guest on, Ray, who's in the waiting room, I just want to remind you all why we do this. We're here to help, Bella, come here. We're here to help one million people start a business of their own and ensure that anyone that does start a business doesn't feel alone doing it. And so we have built a series of platforms uh, and events, webinars, insights, and people like Ray, my guest today, who come on and share their knowledge to help you not feel alone if you are running a business today and get the knowledge you need, as well as anyone out there that thinks, hey, I can't get a job. Don't worry about getting a job. Start a business of your own, create your own job. And by listening to people like Ray today, hopefully you'll get the knowledge to do that. Just before I bring Ray on, I'll also mention that I interviewed Jeff Rottmeyer uh, yesterday. He's uh, an incredible purpose-driven entrepreneur. He's running two charities. He's the CEO of two charities, not one, two. He's dedicated his life to helping out uh, the homeless. And his stories made me cry in the podcast. I mean, I don't mind admitting it. Um, his story of how he's managed to go from being a teacher, which I think is a very purposeful job, to something even more purposeful, trying to help the homeless and, and trying to help children with Down syndrome with his charity Love 21 and his charity Impact Hong Kong. Please go check out that podcast. You'll feel incredibly inspired by Jeff. His insights on how to build a charity, how he perceives the charity world, how he managed to make a charity work for him and for the people he serves. It is mind-blowingly good. And for me, it was a very personal interview because I was homeless for five days. Um, so I kind of had a, a flavor of what that world would look like. If you end up in it for a long, long term, it's not easy at all, of course. So by listening to Jeff, I think you'll, you'll get an insight into that world and maybe you'll want to support some of his charities. So go listen to that podcast because I promise you, you'll learn something from him. Now, let me bring on my first guest today, uh, Ray. Good to see you. How are you? Great. And greetings from Hong Kong, where yeah, it is the joining. evening. Yeah, I know. It's, it's uh, 9.30 p.m. there now, right? That's right. That's right. So th thank you for giving up some of your evening to uh, share your knowledge with, with our audience today. So thanks, mate. Well, first of all, I know you well, um, but I'd love my audience just to hear a little bit about who you are and, and what you do. Well, let's start with um, the beginning. Um, I have been in Hong Kong now for 25 years, and I have been a uh, working almost 40 years So uh, in the media somehow. So my first media job was in newspapers, delivering them. And then when I finished university, I studied filmmaking and became a broadcast journalist uh, working in Canada for six years. And then I came to Hong Kong in 1995 to work uh, in local television here in the English broadcasting. And then after that, I uh, began consulting. So the consulting that I was doing was really kind of based around that whole concept that I started when I was in film school of storytelling. So we took um, people who had been former broadcast journalists uh, and we started a practice that was exclusively dedicated to helping clients communicate their strengths more effectively. And we called it the crisis planning crisis planning and training uh, practice. And so I did that at, at Hill and Knowlton for 10 years, and then I moved it to Edelman for another nearly uh, nine years. And then in 2018, 
I decided that I would, after that huge period of time of working for someone else, start my own consultancy, which I called Epic Communications, because I think that that summed up my entire attitude in my career towards storytelling. You had to make it big. You had to be bold. You had to really look beyond yourself and put yourself into the shoes of the audiences that you were trying to influence, the clients that you were trying to win, the um, consumers that you were trying to sell to. So that's where we are now, Epic Communications. Love it. Well, um, how has the journey been going from corporate world? I mean, Edelman, for those that don't know, is a very well-known PR company. Um, I've actually worked with them in London as well as, the, as well as Hong Kong. You know, a very respected company. You know, how, how is it going from like corporate to working for yourself? What, what's that journey been like for you? Well, it's interesting because even when within those two organizations that I was in, first with Hill and & Knowlton and then in Edelman, um, I was in many ways working um, very remotely, oftentimes flying here, there, and everywhere to conduct these various trainings, and seminars, crisis workshops. So I was often out of the office more than I was in the office. So that transition to starting your own kind of specialized practice wasn't really that hard. What I think was different was the fact that when you're in a big organization, you've got this network of people that you can rely on, you can pick up the phone, uh, ask somebody for something. Uh, when you're working on your own, you really have to be much more resourceful. But I think that that also helps me to work with clients in creating efficiencies. So the work that I do is helping to develop communication strategies, helping to develop crisis plans, coaching CEOs and executives and how to be better storytellers. And that has, I think, never been more important, especially in this post-pandemic, um, post-COVID uh, world where you know companies are really struggling and now they're trying to figure out like, what do we do? How do we get back on track? Um, some of my clients are really struggling in the sense that um, they're involved in things like aviation, hospitality, fast-moving consumer goods, everything that you can kind of think of that's almost been put on hold because it involves the movement of goods and services and people. So mm. this, I think, I think the two things to kind of get back to what you uh, were asking, being on my own allows me to position um, my expertise a lot more strategically and also gives clients a lot more accessibility to the services that I offer. They're often intimidated. I don't want to go to a big firm that's going to be expensive. I only want this. I want to have a conversation about what is strategic communication. And, you know, the the bigger firms are always, you know, trying to kind of move and upsell something. That's the nature of the business. I have a little bit larger, longer horizon when it comes to meeting my own revenue targets. So I can be much more flexible, give a lot more accessibility and come up with programs that are a little bit more tailored um, than perhaps I, I could have when I was part of a bigger organization. Are there any particular tips right now you think you can offer up for people that are struggling? Um, is, there a, is there a communication strategy that could, could help people? I mean, are any particular client right now you think, or any particular company, it's not be a client of yours, you think are doing it right on the communication side? I mean, for example, in England, there's loads of people, you know, acknowledging coronavirus and then still selling right. their supermarket food as, you know, great for Christmas. They're acknowledging it by wearing masks in their ad, but they're not necessarily doing anything to help. Do you think that there are there are anything, any tips out there for people that might want to reinvent their communications or reinvent their business or any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's an excellent question because I think what's really important is to do a couple of things. You've got to start to look at um, 
identifying um, your goals. Like, what is it that you really want in the next year? Is it to sell more? Is it to recruit more? Uh, whatever those goals are, then I think you've got to look at um, identifying what are the, the the actual action items that you you're doing to make that happen, and then aligning the action with proper stories and examples. I think that gone are the days where you can sort of just talk about things in broad general terms. The idea now is to establish trust, and trust is based on action. And I think that it really is about communicating how you can service those clients, service those customers. Are you going to be here for the long term? And one of the big things I think that a lot of companies, especially um, entrepreneurs, are faced with is asking for money. Um, and what they have to start to think about is not what's my media strategy, but what is my story? What is the strategy? How am I going to communicate to those venture capitalists, those angel investors? How am I going to cap uh, communicate our story to convince them that we're worth risking their money at this point in time? And one of the things that I talk about in some of my trainings, um, may, many of the, the viewers may have already been watching these great programs like the Dragon's Den or like Shark Tank, where they, you know, they get these two entrepreneurs or two or three entrepreneurs and trying to sell an idea to these three dragons. And a lot of times the, the, the people that are doing the selling are talking about themselves or they're talking about their goals, but they don't really have a strong story and they're not really putting themselves in the shoes of the three dragons or the three investors or the venture capitalists. And that's one of the things I think that's critical at this time is to really understand your story and align it with your business plans. Hmm. I think you're making an excellent point there. I think in sales, uh, the mistake I think people make in, is that they're busy selling what they've got and they're not listening to the person they're selling to. So a lot of people struggle right now, especially if they have to find new clients or they have to reinvent their business with selling because they just say what they've got but they don't listen to the client, right? And listen to the client, like you're saying there. Put your put yourself in the dragon's shoes. Uh, don't put yourself in the in the investor's shoes. Put yourself in the in the side of the person buying. But a lot of people don't do that. Well, there's two things. One, uh, if you're an entrepreneur, you're focused on a lot of things, mostly operations, maybe business continuity. But you probably haven't thought about a communication strategy, or you've probably offloaded that to somebody saying, okay, we've got a digital marketing person, or we've got um, somebody doing that. But as a CEO, I think you've got to take a much more active role in your communications. And that was one of the challenges you talk about what the big difference was. When I started my own consultancy, it was really about branding my expertise. You know, what is Epic Communications? What separates Epic Communications from a large global uh, PR firm. And I think that finding that story and being able to tell that story in one word is something that I'm working with uh, my clients to uh, inspire them to get to think about through a very structured process. Mm. And the story of Epic Communication is expertise, structure, and accessibility. Okay. And when you were, um, I, I always love stories about how it all happened because a lot of my audience are thinking of starting their own business. Right. But, you know, did you hand in your notice and you had a big plan before you launched or did it just, you know, you quit and then did the plan or, I mean, you're in communications. I've got a feeling you did a plan first, but what, what was your process for, for making your business happen? Well, I got to a point uh, again where, you know, you reach a point in your career where you've kind of like achieved everything you can do and 
company's going in one direction and you've kind of like achieved everything that you can go. So it was time to leave. But then it becomes one of those things like, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to just find another person to work for? So I started to talk to some friends of mine who had done it and got some inspiration from them in terms of mentoring. And two people in particular had been in similar situations where they had left the agency and they had started their own um, their own kind of consultancy. And it was like, wow, okay. So I have some ideas. I've been running a business. I've been running a practice. Now it's time to run it on my own. And so I had the experience. I think uh, it was then a case of going out and appealing to clients who might need this service, working towards getting the collateral together, creating programs. But I had all the knowledge. What I was now doing was repackaging that under the Epic Communications brand and philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing. The other thing I want to kind of stress, because if people are watching this, then you must as anyone, not only in professional services, but anyone as an entrepreneur, you have to buy the book, The Trusted Advisor by David Meister. The Trusted Advisor. Well, the Trusted Advisor concept. <laughs> <laughs> They're excited about it. Um, you remember them on the Exactly. The Trusted Advisor concept is really about the idea of, of, of positioning yourself as person that is a resource and not a drain somebody who is like like the, the 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 contractor versus the trusted advisor the contractor is like you know what do you want me to do the trusted advisor is what do you think the problem is mm. the contractor is a an additional cost where the trusted advisor is an additional investment so I think, again, it's this mindset of shifting the way in which you approach business from just like, I want to sell something. I have a great product or service. Um, one of the people that I did work with was an entrepreneur uh, some years back who started a kind of travel uh, and tourism app. And it was really interesting because he's a young guy, had this great idea. But a lot of the times, entrepreneurs are like a bowl of spaghetti. Like they're just like all these strands. They've got great ideas. Obviously, they've got some money behind them. They're not really able to kind of concisely communicate what their value proposition is. And so I worked with them to really kind of just get them focused, you know, through the structures and the trainings and the coachings that I provide. Um, and pretty soon they were able to really kind of not only get the CEO discipline, but then there was also a need to get everybody within the organization aligned, which is another important part. If you're the CEO and you have a specific vision and the CFO is saying something to someone else and the CMO is saying something to someone else, you've got three or four different messages. Um, so that I think is really kind of another critical aspect of making sure that in addition to your business plan and your growth strategy, that you have a communication strategy that's aligned with you know, bringing those different strands together making sure that you're focused and able to communicate to whoever you need to. Um, we, uh, we're live on TikTok, one of the platforms we're live on right now. Um, and, and people on TikTok are asking me, Bella, please. One of the problems with working it's from excited. home. excited. I mean, yeah. Well, she's communicating, you know. <laughs> exactly. On theme. But, um, but yeah, I, I, the, the question is, is they're asking about, you know, do you, do you 
um, do you advise any particular platforms when, when talking about communications these days? You know, how, how do you view social media within the communication landscape? Bearing in mind, there's a lot of businesses on TikTok. It's actually a business asking me this. Uh, Alifa yeah. official is asking me, what, 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 um, you know, what, what do you think about social media and, and, and its role in communication today? Do you think it's overplayed, underplayed? And there are any particular things on social media you think are useful? Well, you've got to remember that these are just tools or platforms. Um, it's you've got to look at where are where is your audience? Where's your audience consuming or digesting that information? Um, in the sort of pre-social uh, media days, you could just send out a newsletter, and that was successful. And some companies still do that, and that that totally works if you've got a very small and narrow. Um, stakeholder base. But if you're a consumer company, you've got to look at like, where are those consumers going to be able to digest the information that you're putting out? Uh, is it going to be Facebook? Is it going to be TikTok? Is it going to be, you know, WeChat? Uh, is it going to be other platforms that make sense for you? So the idea, again, is not to say like, I'm not going to be a part of social media. That's ridiculous. Uh, it's not about, oh, I've got to be on Twitter. That's ridiculous. You've got to think, where is my target stakeholder group going to get that information or do I have to grow it? One of the things that I do work on with a lot of companies when they, especially in crisis, this is kind of a good example of it because a lot of times they'll, they'll say, I'll say things like, what's your, you know, where, how do you communicate with your, you know, your customers? And they'll say, um, like, we, we, we don't, we don't have a social media presence. The problem with that is that when there's a problem, you don't have an audience already built in that you're cons you're, you're communi communicating with. So when there's a problem, they go everywhere, right? You've got no control over the narrative. So, uh, you know, if you want to grow a specific consumer or um, stakeholder base, find the platform that makes sense and start, you know, building that up by creating meaningful content, making sure that you're populating it making sure that you're amplifying it. And then if you're going to go in that route, look at ways in which you can amplify that content. So maybe you find a piece of content, whether it's video or a message or a meme, whatever it's gonna be, put it to your group. And then you look at ways in which you can get um, the three types of media, which would be of course paid, earned and owned. So you've got your own site on some social media platform. Then you pay, to amplify it and then you earn it by getting somebody to write about you or be like in this podcast. This is kind of, for me, earned media to get my message out. So I think again, back to the question, I'm my own best example of how to use the things that I teach in my own business. I don't advertise. I don't have a website. Everything that I do is by word of mouth, by reputation, and by working with people like yourself who are passionate about something and then bring me on to help to communicate your ideals and share some of my experiences. Mm. That I think is where I think the, the question needs to be focused that was just asked. I, I think the uh, point you just made there about um, paid, earned and owned uh, media is, is so, it's got lost. That's like, but that's, that's very old wisdom that is still very current. But I feel like it's kind of got lost because most people are thinking, post up on social media and done, you know, but you, you need to mix it up, right? You need to 
work for free to get you know re reach the right people and you, as you say on the earn side you know and, and and then you do have to pay you, have, you know make that investment and of course then your own media is like i've got my own podcast platforms you know the, these things it's fascinating there's a few comments coming on on um some of the channels now you don't have a website which i think is is fascinating you know like i think again that's if you're starting a business, that's often where the first thing people build is I've got a business. I've, I've, I've built the URL and I've opened a website up, you know, it's almost the first thing that people do. Uh, and okay. I think it's great. You've got such a successful business in communications where, you know, you're basically, you know, you're doing it through relationships. You're, you're doing it through the good work that you do uh, and, and, and not necessarily what everyone thinks is do a website and it will sell me for me. Right. It's a bit, I think in some ways, if that's what you think you need, to sell the offer, great. But what I prefer to do is use LinkedIn because I think it's a far more um, uh, relevant tool for my business, mm. for my business, for my consultancy. And then again, when it comes to the offer, because a lot of what I do is so tailored. I mean, I'm I've got platforms and structures, but if somebody comes to me and says, I want to have a training of this, that, or the other thing, or I want to have uh, can, can I bring you in as an advisor on the specific project? Then I sit down with them and I kind of go through, you know, through active listening. What is the problem? Uh, you know, who are you trying to communicate with? Why do you think this is, this is the situation that you, 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 think you find yourself in? Mm -hmm. And then I expand it from there. And again, I'm not at, at the point yet where I've got a dozen employees and I'm trying to kind of meet financial targets. This is only, again, within two years that I've been doing it. And the COVID situation has kind of, in some ways, hit a pause button on a lot of us, which has caused me to kind of then work a lot more one-on-one, um, -on -one, thinking about using remote communications. All of those things that, you know, like I have to go out and meet the clients. I have to go and um, reach out to clients personally because they may not know about me or I get a lot of referrals as well. I mean, that's again, how a lot of um, professional services work. So it's all about networking. It's all about referrals. It's all about past experiences. A lot of people that I might have worked with who were a CEO or an entrepreneur with one company may have then gone on to another company. And then they're like, you know, I, I worked with this guy a few years back. I wonder what he's doing. And then they kind of contact me, usually through LinkedIn. It's amazing that if you get the right platform and channel, then you're able to, you know, grow your network of clients and prospects. So mm -hmm. if, if you think that a, a website is, is an important thing, that's great. It, it's not what I need for my business. But again, the question is not about any specific platform. It's about how do you reach the consumers or the um, stakeholders that you want in order to get the contracts that you need. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like there are any um, instant things you see often people make uh, or do wrong when they start a business? Any any obvious you know tips you could give people that if anyone out there, I say a lot of my listeners are, are interested in starting a business. Are there any things that jump to mind just to make sure you don't make those mistakes? Well, I can talk about it from a communications perspective because I think that that's more relevant to the, the sort of strategic advice that I give. I think the first thing that I see a lot of entrepreneurs do is they completely ignore any concept that there's a need to invest in communication. So you'll have your legal advisor, you'll have your compliance office. Maybe you might have some sort of, you know, agency doing creative or marketing for you. But the idea 
to bring in a communications advisor is just like foreign because it's like, what's this person doing? They're just talking to me, but it's not quite like that. So you've got to look at the idea in terms of how would a communications counselor fit into my overall budgeting and ability to um, you know, plan my next campaign. I'll give you an example. I'll just give you an example because I think this is a pretty interesting example. Some years back, um, we were working with the producer. Like, the, the, the traditional Chinese medicine market in Asia is just hugely crowded. You've got all sorts of different types of treatments like cordyceps and bird's nest, all these types of ginseng. And there was one organization that came to us and was looking to raise the price of their specific Chinese medicine product. And it was kind of the same as a lot of other products. So they were looking in, again in terms of getting strategic communications advice. How do we position this particular product versus our competitors? And one of the things that I did again through the analysis that I, I do was to identify that what they were trying to do was position this as a premium product and that the country of origin was really the differentiator. And once we understood that, we developed an entire you know, communication strategy. But they had a very interesting sort of um, consumer uh, base because they weren't selling direct to consumers. They were selling to a lot of medicine shops and Chinese medicine organizations. So they really had to kind of communicate with those people who would then be the influencers who would then distribute their product to the patients or whoever. You see what I mean? Like, So again, you get back to the idea of like, what what sort of platform makes sense for these guys? Obviously, they're going to have to try to figure out how to raise the price of this particular medicine um, to make it a premium product. But we really kind of worked around the concept of the country that it came from was clean. It was fresh. It was uh, healthy. Um, and those kind of concepts were what separated this particular product from everything else that may look and smell and taste like the others. Um, and you see this now again with things like... Um, uh, like this fake meat, for example, like how do you sell that? Uh, what's really at stake with some of these things? And some of that experience, I think, um, so they don't really understand the difference between their objectives and telling a really great story. The other mistake that they make is that they focus every conversation on selling instead of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I think the third kind of big mistake is that, um, a lot of CEOs, a lot of companies will just like outsource their communications to someone else rather than a CEO. Because a CEO is kind of like, you know, spend a lot of time in business school. They know everything there is to know about um, spreadsheets and things like that. But they don't know anything about how to position, how to communicate, how to basically plan and structure um, a message or a story. And that's where, again, the expertise that I've had in both broadcasting and then in working with all these different clients, either in crisis or in training or in counseling them in campaigns that I think I'm able to make accessible to um, clients in my own capacity. It's epic communications. Mm. I, I think the storytelling piece is another um, very important point to highlight that you're mentioning there. I think so many people, I mean, I, I spoke to a founder recently who has a business that's doing quite well. Um, but they've actually kept their personal story for why they do it quiet and and partly because their personal story is about how they went to prison and and how that affected them but they're scared to tell that story 
because they don't want the business to be tarnished by their story. But that's the motivation for them doing the business. And I was right. saying, that actually, you know, my view is you put the story in there. Yes, you may get some people that will judge you, but you don't want to work with those people anyway. You know, so 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 but it's authentic and it's who you are. And, and that's what's motivating you today. So the people that accept who you are and that story will be very loyal as opposed to those that might six months into the working with you find out that story anyway. Well, there's a couple of things to think about in that situation. I think that one is trust. Yes. Um, and I think that finding a way to position that experience as something that's forward looking rather than I'm a bad person and I should be forever banished and shamed. It's more like, you know, what has that experience taught me uh, in terms of relationships? Or I don't know what the product or service that they're selling is. But again, sometimes it's relevant and sometimes it's not. You see this a lot of times where people have had uh, very difficult experiences or like with veterans, for example, they don't want to talk about the experience in you know, a conflict or war. Um, it's something that it's like they've kind of moved on about. And I think um, you know, you've got to look at it in terms of, is it relevant? And is this something that, um, if it's part of me as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, how can I inject that without making it sound like I'm exploiting it or, you know, virtue signaling or doing something inauthentic? Because your consumers will pick it up, your your stakeholders will pick it up right away that, oh, this guy's, just, you know, using the whole prison thing to kind of make us feel sorry for him. Yeah. I think that there has to be this idea of, is it relevant to bring it up in a conversation and how would you do that and that's and see and this is where you need outside support because just to kind of think oh well how do i do it they couldn't they would need somebody like in a capacity at like mine to really kind of work through in terms of when is this appropriate how is this appropriate what would be uh, a way of introducing it when would we do this or do we have to do it at all like again maybe that maybe it's not relevant but then if it comes up, it's like, well, this person, you know, was was in prison. What were they in prison for? I mean, that's another thing that's kind of important to understand. So, again, just to sort of say, oh, well, we, we can use it. No, they need to have communications counsel in the same way that you would have legal counsel or compliance counsel or, you know, other types of counsel, accounting, you know, company secretary. You wouldn't do this on your own. I actually agree. I think communication is a bit of an underrated discipline. It's almost like, you know, it, you can figure it out by communicating. Uh, but, you know, it, it, is, it is an art form. I completely agree. As you know, I had an agency for 15 years, so I, 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 could, I couldn't agree more that it's, it's a, a very valuable thing. But for a lot of people, um, you know, the, 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 the tip you're giving there about storytelling, I think, is so true. But of course, even then, you, you do need to use it carefully. Even myself, you know, I've got a story that for the longest time I was embarrassed to tell. You know, I was kicked out of home, I was homeless for five days. I didn't want to tell that story so people felt sorry for me. And I didn't want to tell that story to make people think that I wasn't a success today, you know, because I was a homeless person once, you know, like somehow that stigma sticks with you. And, and so you know, it's very hard to tell the story. But I think equally, it is very powerful if you can tell it with authenticity and it does link to the reason you're doing what you're doing today. You know, I'm doing what I'm doing today because I don't want people to be homeless. I'm doing what I am doing today because I don't want people to not have a job like I didn't at 15 years old, you know, when I was on the street. So you but but you've got to, as you say quite rightly, you've also got to make sure that it's authentic and it's not just a story to leverage uh, for the business. And it's it's something that actually is relevant to the business and, and has some merit to make the business story more coherent. So yeah. Well, and, and, and the other aspect of that is the the trust building aspect. Is this gonna help me mm. to be more um 
believable uh, in mm. these situations, um, I think is, is credible. And then I think in your case, again, the idea that like being down and out or down on your luck is I think um, a very powerful motivator for everything that you do. Um, so it's authentic. But I mean, if, you, if you're just kind of going out there and talking about it without any context, mm. then it comes off as being very, you know, smarmy and virtue signaling. And I think that that's just way too much of that. And your stakeholders will smell that in a second and go, no, that doesn't make sense. But the way that you've positioned it is, I think, the, the, the way that, again, it's, you, you can't just do it off the top of your head. I mean, obviously, you're a communications professional, but the way that we're sharing our expertise here means that there is a structure, there is a strategy, um, there is a time and place. And I think um, bringing in an outside professional to help you with that is important. The other thing that brings up, you talk about the mistakes that people make. The other mistake is that, like, it looks easy. It just looks so easy, like to hear the two of us talk and be like, "Whoa, these two guys! Well, they, you know, they they really kind of they have this great rapport and they're like sharing their expertise." But this is, you know, for me, 30, 35 years of working mm. uh, and sharing that, you know, going from film school to working twelve years in media every single day, cranking out two or three stories, being able to think on your feet, and then transferring those skills from being the one that's like the outsider speaking to being the insider counseling. Um, again, that was a different mindset. And then doing that, taking all those skills and then doing it entirely on my own is like, this is my third career. I think the trusted advisor piece you made earlier, I think I always love it when the people I'm working with don't become a service provider, but a trusted advisor, but you have to work, it's just like any relationship. If you treat your supplier like a supplier, they will be a supplier. If you treat your supplier with respect and mutual support, I always ask my suppliers how I can help them too. You know, then, then you build up that that trusted advisor, and then if you get that right, um, you know you're getting a lot of love online. By the way, a lot of people like you know, if you don't need a website, then you're doing something right. You know, like that's an interesting take on it, right? It's um, and I've got people, uh, some very prominent people in in the London startup ecosystem, like Peter, just saying thanks for sh sharing your insights and. Um, I had a yeah. question. Um, I've got Candice waiting in the waiting room, our next guest coming on, but I've got one okay. question before uh, we jump to Candice. Um, sure. Someone uh, is asking uh, about like uh, getting a mentor. What, what do you think about getting a mentor in your business? You know, uh, how, what, what do you think about that concept? I, I think that that's an excellent thing. I had a mentor. I had two mentors, actually. No, I could say three mentors. I can't think of the people. But again, they were they were people that had started their own business. Um, and we're very willing to share their experiences um, as long as I was able to not tax their time and not be overly needy and not be like, you know, demanding of like, you know, something from them. I had to kind of know when and how to leverage their expertise. And so, you know, we would meet or I would call. I still do. You know, what do I do about this? What do you think of this? Um, but I'm very mindful of not, you know, crossing the line in these relationships, but knowing what it is, because there's a difference, right? A mentor is somebody who was going to help you. If you're just going to rely on them, then I think you need to hire somebody, right? Like if you're going to be calling somebody every 15 minutes for advice, that's a trusted advisor paid relationship. I think a mentor would be someone where you're doing all the heavy lifting, but once in a while you just need somebody to kind of go, 
Mm. Is this making sense? Did you face this when you did? It has to be someone who's on a peer level, right? Mm. Otherwise, you know, you're trying to get something for free. Like it's like going to a lawyer and saying, I, I need a lawyer to be my mentor when you're actually trying to get free legal advice. Yes, good point. That's not that's not right. But the, the idea of a mentor is to find someone who's a peer, who mm. may be somebody who's in that same industry or some doing something similar to you, and maybe is just like a little bit more advanced than you are, so that you can um, bring your sort of skill sets like in the frame here. Like they're up here but not up here because if they're up here then you're in a situation where you need to be paying for that advice a mentor would be like you and i for example could be like mentors or mentees right i come to you and i go simon look I, i've got this idea what do you think and you go you know what um that sounds great but if i sit down with you for like two hours <laughs> i should be paying you mm. right that's what professional services is i agree and I, I mean? yeah i totally agree with you uh, i think there's also misunderstanding with with the word mentor, you know, a mentor and a coach, for example, a coach is very different to a mentor. But I think a lot of people ask me to be their mentors, and it's always a compliment. But having <laughs> that to your point that you know you've only got so many hours in a day, and a mentor relationship is actually a pretty intense one if you do it right. You, you know, you're there to help that person, um, and so yeah. But I think you know, I've got I've been lucky enough to have a lot of mentors. I had um, the billionaire Alan Zeman. You know, he he was my mentor when I was living in Hong Kong, and he, and he helped me up set up Meta there, which I know you were a right. Yeah. You know, he, uh, it took me years to build a relationship with him. And then when he did uh, give me advice, his son also uh, gave me advice and supported me, Jonathan. But, you know, I also always said, what can I do for you guys in return? You know, clearly they didn't need money, but, you know, I, I, there was ways I could give my expertise back to them to help them. And I think that sometimes, you know, mentorship is actually a two-way street. That's another thing I think people don't realize. It's like, you know, it, it's good to give, and certainly people will give you an hour or two as a one-off bit of advice. But I think if you want an ongoing mentorship role, then you, like you say, there's probably either a coach role there that's that's probably a more, uh, right. or, or there's some quid pro quo, right? So, but look, Ray, I could talk to you forever. Um, but I, I and I and as I say, you're getting a lot of love online. But but I feel like Candice is very politely waiting in the wings and looking for our help today. So Great. let's bring her on. Um, Candice, good to see you. We've got, uh, you know, um, 30 people on TikTok and 17 people on YouTube and we're live on every channel. Uh, so t lots of people that want to hear your story this morning so, so, or this afternoon. Tell us, tell us what's going on. What, what are you about? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me. And I hope I do the storytelling justice after that, <laughs> after that intro. Can you tell your, okay, let me, let, before you start, can you tell your story, your corporate story in one word? In one word? One word. Sum it up. Hope. Oh, okay. Mm, good. Okay. Well done, Candice. I was <laughs> I was feeling the pressure for you there as well. <laughs> I was All myself, right. what's mine? I'm I'm purpose, I think, but you know, what's yeah, your okay. yeah. uh, you, you, you you had me at hope. Okay, continue. That's good. Um so I just I guess starting with myself, I'm Canadian. I studied engineering, moved here in 2008 to do my MBA. I've worked in um, innovation consulting for a few years. I've worked in impact investing for the past seven years. And where the story for Liminal really starts is um, about five years ago, I was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 32. Um, so I went through a year of treatment, um, had a local recurrence where the tumor came back in the same spot uh, about a year later. But I've been clear for three years now, which is great. Um, and the, I guess the inspiration for Liminal 
uh, basically came from my experiences as a patient. Um, so my main issue was really finding the right, credible, evidence-backed, researched information around how I could help myself and what lifestyle factors I needed to change in my own life to prevent this cancer from returning again. Um, when I asked my my oncology team, they basically told me, don't worry, um, you know, try and eat healthy, try and get some exercise if you can, but there's really nothing you can do, which on the one hand was a big relief um, that it wasn't my fault and, you know, there wasn't really anything I could do. But on the other hand, the thing I wanted most was to take a bit of control over the situation and, and feel like I could contribute to my own healing. So after doing my own research, um, actually I found out that something as simple as getting the kind of government guideline recommendation of exercise every week could reduce my risk of recurrence by over 30%, which is quite significant. Um, alongside all the other evidence that's coming out about mind-body connection, reducing your stress, um, eating properly, um, all these things, all these factors that kind of combine to make your whole health. So uh, we spoke to a whole bunch of other patients. Lots of people resonated with this. Um, lots of people mentioned the lack of emotional support as well um, for people at this time. And particularly once you've come to the end of your treatment. So people feel almost pushed off a cliff. There's not much support post-disease. There's, you know, everybody does a great job of treating the disease itself. But afterwards, I was just told, okay, see you in six months at your next checkup. <laughs> so what we do at Liminal is um, we provide health coaching for people affected by long-term health conditions and chronic conditions. The reason we decided to go for health coaching is because we really believe in the power of coaching, which you guys were just talking about, um, to help you identify where you are today, where you want to be in the future, and identify the tiny steps that you should be taking or you want to take for yourself um, to get you along that path. And I think um, the key thing with this whole kind of holistic living and whole body approach is that there's so much to do and it can be really overwhelming. Um, so a coach can really help you prioritize which bits are most important for you to nail first and to kind of, um, yeah, make a make a start on your journey that way. So the last thing I'll say is we work with um, companies. That's our route to market really is um, we work with companies to coach their staff um, to improve their productivity and uh, reduce churn, increase engagement, increase loyalty. Um, the stat is that um, a third of the workforce, statistically in the UK, is facing a long-term health condition. Most HR leaders, the ones I've spoken to anyways, know of about 5%. So this is a very hidden problem, um, which is a challenge for us in terms of communicating what we do and proving our worth as well. Um, so yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll stop there for an, for an intro. Oh, uh, Candice, thank you for sharing your story um, and, and uh, wonderful what you're doing. It's kind of crazy to me that a third of, of people have a condition of some sort. That That's just, as you say, a lot of people are probably embarrassed to talk about it or don't want it to affect the relationships in their work environment, right? So it's quite a difficult thing to talk about. My my, my wife, um, well, um, my mother-in-law, she, she had cancer and uh, sadly died. But it was shocking to both of us, my wife and I, when we go to the doctors with her and the doctor would literally be so clinical about it. You know, you've got six months to live. 
and that's just the stats I'm telling you and being up front with you and then you go away and, and you know you realize that you, as you quite rightly point out that holistic medicines and, and eating properly in a detailed way understanding what you can and cannot eat based on your body type and the type of cancer you've got can seriously reduce uh, the cancer or, or, or certainly help you extend the amount of time you've got you know and, and so my wife actually ended up being a kinesiologist she learned kinesiology oh, wow. uh, on the back of the fact that she was a designer a graphic designer and she retrained completely because she saw the gap in the market I guess for like looking after people that have been told by doctors they had no hope mm. uh, and so I really resonate with what you're doing and, and thank you for it Ray what do you think of the communication uh, of what Candice has explained her business as a communication expert what, what do you think uh, you know a couple of things come to mind and just hearing you um, speak one is I think you've got we talked about this just a moment ago I don't know if you were able to listen but the idea of when do you Put yourself into the story and I think you've got a, a really incredible story that makes sense for you to share we talked about somebody who might be reluctant to talk about their personal story for one reason or another but I think the whole basis of your business is based around this idea that you were looking for something and once you discovered the gap in the marketplace once you got your your you know back to healing you were able to take that experience and then figure out a business around it. So that's the first thing I think that that's like an amazing thing to think about. The other thing to think about is, again, a little bit more of a strategic positioning. Um, the idea of hope, I think, is the basis or the objective of, this is another thing that um, you talk about, like how do um, CEOs or entrepreneurs confuse communication? They confuse the objectives with the story. The hope idea is really the objective. Creating hope is what your business does. But the actual story is one of reducing risk. Uh, it's one of, you know, lifestyle, improving productivity, the kinds of things that if I was a CEO and I was looking at which kind of consultants that I bring in, that's what would appeal to me. The idea of hope is something that would be uh, an outcome of, you know, productive and healthy employees um, that I would have, you know, a, a sustainable business. So again, this is a, a very kind of interesting kind of way of looking at which audience? Now, if you're going to be talking to an audience of entrepreneurs, the hope story is a great story. If you're going to be trying to look at positioning the business to CEOs that you're trying to perhaps get an entry into, I think the idea of you know improved productivity, identifying and de-risking the health risks, especially in a time of COVID, uh, is I think the direction that I would probably kind of think of you know putting you in and I think to, to add to what Ray's saying there I mean hope is a wonderful word I absolutely love it but it sounds like your business model has a lot of preemptive care elements in it which you know that's what corporations are, are, are perhaps you know very interested in they don't want people to get sick so yeah. it's like hoping you don't need hope you know like, <laughs> or, or, or you know the hope is that no one gets sick in our organization so yeah. it's using that word in different sentences I think is an interesting um, communication strategy because because hope you know I I I uh, I I know when my uh, my, my mother-in-law was sick you know we had hope that she would get better she had hope right but yeah. looking into it we also uh, realized that we had to look after ourselves right to be able to care for her so it is a very interesting dynamic but today um, a part of the reason we, we're doing this podcast is 
you know, to get amazing people like Ray with all his experience on here for free, helping people, but you know, to help to help you, you know, help help you. Is there anything in particular right now that we can help you with? Well, I think um, talking more about this, you know, positioning and stuff is super helpful for us. I think we we have three priorities right now. One is um, probably the same as every startup business in the world: sales, uh, product, and fundraising. So. Right. So get more uh, clients. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Win more business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we at the moment we're working with two corporate clients, which is great. They came on board and have been help, you know, have been our pilot pioneering clients, yeah. which has been great. We've been coaching um some of their employees. I think we are uh myself and my co-founder Christine, who's been um chatting away in the chat there as well, supporting. Um, we've been, you know, pushing on our kind of sales and learning sales as we go along. Um, so yeah, so any sort of any sort of uh, help with with, you know, our, our kind of approaches there or ways to to find people. Um, we're also in terms of the fundraising side of things, we are hoping to raise 250,000 pounds in an angel round by the end of uh, Q1 next year. So um, that's another area of support that would be great. Um, and product, I guess this is this is kind of, you know, the heart of what we're doing is um, at the moment, what I'm finding challenging is we have this big vision for what we want to do. And we have the little tiny MVP of what we're doing now. And so how do you bridge that? Um, ability gap, I guess. And how do you sell? I guess it, it ties into the sales conversation, but how do where we only have like a fraction of the product that we would like to have? How do we sell that now um, to get traction to get us the fundraising to let us grow and, and build that product out? I have a lot of thoughts on this. Ray, do you want to go first, though? Yeah, I think that a couple of things come to mind here. I think that uh, one of the things that you've got to look at is a few things, just identifying really what's at stake for your business. I think you probably know, but there's a lot of ideas and I think this crystallizing it is really kind of critical. You've got an operational business plan. You've obviously got an offer. Now you're looking at, okay, so I know what I need to do. I need to get more money. I need to get more clients. Um, so I think that making sure that you understand your messaging uh, and making sure that it's critical, uh, that it's crystal clear is really important. Because remember that, you know, an angel investor is going to look at this and they're going to go, that's a beautiful story. And, I, you know, it's a very touching story, but I don't get it. Right. So you've got to look at how do I communicate de-risking their investment? What is it that I'm able to provide or in return for that 250 pounds, a thousand pounds or whatever it is that you're looking for. So you've got to look beyond the idea like being in the business, uh, no matter like the great personal story that you have, uh, it only goes so far if you can't communicate de-risking their investment. And that I think is at the core of what you're doing. Um, and once you can figure that out, then you'll be able to take all those different strands and put it into a package that someone will look at and go, okay, you know, this is a great story. And the hope story and the personal story, I think is a really great proof point in all of that because it kind of fundamentally shows that you're in this because you really care and it really comes from something deep inside yourself, which, you know, is great. But if you don't have a business plan, 
it's just a great story. Yeah, I I, um, I, I agree with Ray. I, I guess there's some practical elements to to it to the um, questions you're asking, and I guess one thing I I personally built 18 businesses. I've done it so many. Each one has been a different experience in the way that it's got built. Um, I feel for you on the resource side. I, it's always like that when you're building a business. It, I never have felt, even when I've had hundreds of people working for me, that I have enough resources. <laughs> yeah. Just part of it. And I think that um, actually it's very wise to be that way too. I mean, my last company, Fluid, got bought by PwC. They were still cautious. Their cash flow is crazy. They've got billions of pounds cash flow that they could spend on the business. But they don't because I think it is wise and prudent to build it carefully based on you win a client, you service that client. And I think, you know, I know there are businesses today that we see like Facebook, or for example, that suddenly are massive, but even they started off small and had limited resources. And, and so that, that scarcity can, call, can cause in, innovation, I think, because you have to really keep listening to the customer and listening to the demographic and what they need. Whereas if you have lots of money, I've seen lots of people go away and build lots of infrastructure to then go back to the market and the infrastructure isn't required by the market. That wasn't what they wanted. That's what you thought that they wanted. Mm. So, but I've also found, um, you know, your, your, your stage that you're at now is actually a very exciting stage because you've, you've got something, you know it works, you've kind of got an MVP, you've proved that two clients want it, you've, you've proved the market needs it. It's actually very exciting. So maybe take a moment to appreciate that. I know for entrepreneurs, we're too busy thinking about the next bit, but, you know, breathe and go, wow. Awesome. Um, we've actually got something people need and you always knew it, but you proved it. So congratulations. I think when it comes to the next step, um, your, your three strategies, you know, like raise money, um, more sales and product um, in a way is all the same thing. Right. Because I feel like I've raised money, for example, from a corporate relationship. So I've said to a, a client, I will expand my business to service your needs. You fund it. You know, and, 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 and you can raise the money through your client relationships. Equally, of course, just get a sale for 250000 to fund the next stage. It might not seem as easy as getting an investor in some respects. You get an investor, you've got the money, then you can do the expansion and then win the client. But actually, in some respects, it's better because if you get an investor, and I can say this as an investor so I can insult my own clan for a second, sometimes, sometimes investors can be like a boss. You know, like, okay, I thought I was putting my money in and we were doing this. I thought we were, I was putting my money in and I was going to get my profit out at the end of the year. Whereas your dream is to make this work for everyone forever. Mm -hmm. Their dream is to take their 250 and turn it into a million, right? Yes. So, or, or even more, right? So, so I think sometimes the raising money thing is, is a bit, is a bit of a, um, be careful with it. That being said, I think you are a perfect candidate for crowdfunding. Um, I don't know if you've looked at it. Mm. Yeah, I think um, the, my hesitation is just that I think the process we need to have kind of landed 30 to 40 percent of the amount before we start. Um, so I think it's something it's definitely something that we would consider, uh, but potentially after we've, you know, found that first 100K from somewhere and then put it on put it on a crowdfunding site. Yeah, it's chicken egg, but you're yeah. talking about equity crowdfunding. But mm. I, I think it could also be um, a Kickstarter version, which you know is is less about equity. I mean, yeah. of course, you've got GoFundMe. I also think you've got potential to go on platforms like that. Yeah, 
because you've got a story that isn't just about making money, right? Equity crowdfunding is about businesses with a strong financials, which I, I, I feel sure that you're, you, you have. But I think you have what a lot of businesses don't have. You, you have hope. You know, you, you have something that they don't have. And I think that that could mean a lot of people might support you. I want to support you. I don't need any return. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, I'm not going to give you the 250, but I definitely give you something. And, and I don't care about the financial return. And, 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 and despite people's uh, skepticism about, you know, people with money, there are a lot of good people with money out there. And a lot of good people with money out there that have been through a similar experience that you're talking about and don't necessarily have the, um, the, the, the youth that you have and the time to go and build what you're building, but would love to support it. My wife's clients, for example, a couple of them I know, very wealthy people, very nice people, and they're going through chronic illness and, and they wish they'd had hope earlier on. So I'm sure people like that will give you money. And, 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 and that sort of money to me aligns with the business mission. Whereas, you know, if you go on a crowdfunding site, and I just interviewed Jeff Lynn, who's the founder of um, uh, one of the big Cedars, one of the big sites that's about to merge with Crowdcube. They're the largest investor in Europe, right? I mean, I just interviewed the founder, and, and, and I, he's very purposeful. But you've, you've got to understand those platforms are capitalistic platforms. Mm -hmm. so, so there is an element of, like, does that gel with your business mission? And so another practical bit of advice, maybe you uh, already know this, but there's a site called Angel List. Do you know it? Yes, um, I haven't quite figured out how to use it properly. Okay. <laughs> First step with learning how to do a platform. Tip number one, go on it and register. I, I am registered. Did I, you put the company up? Yeah, I think so. And you put your logo in and you filled in all the details of the company and what you're doing and you've highlighted you're raising 250. Maybe that's the last step that I have yeah. <laughs> done. Just list, Just list it because, you know, um, there's reactive sales and there's proactive sales, right? But then hopefully by having it on there, someone might go on Angel List today and type in health startup, and there you are, right? So, you know, increase your chances of luck uh, by, by just making sure you, you do things like that. Just, but, but, you know, I would be very cautious uh, about the investment route, and I would be very bullish personally on getting clients. Yes. I would, because I think if you get clients on board, frankly, if they're a pain in the butt, you can fire them. Um, whereas once you've got an investor in there and equity in your company, that gets a lot more complicated. Plus, frankly, the more successful you are as a, as a platform, the easier it gets to raise money. Yeah. You know, you've got two clients in MVP, 250,000 pounds sounds like an okay number, not the top end, not the low end, it's okay. Um, but I still want to see some element of success before I give you a house, you know, yeah. or two. Um, and, and, and so there's, for some people, you know, the, the, but the, if you had another five clients, it's getting a lot easier. I think you can start to ask for a million, maybe even for the same amount of equity, right? So, so there's an element of like, I would probably, if you've got limited resources, focus in on building incredible case studies on the two clients you've got, put all your energy into getting another two clients, and then that, I think, could lead to an investment either from the corporates themselves, which, by the way, have investment arms. A lot of people don't realize. If you're talking to the, you're probably talking to HR, my guess is, but they've got a marketing department that might want to market that. There's a budget there. They've got, uh, they've got a, uh, an investment division that might be interested in investing in a health platform that reduces their um, productivity issues, especially right now, as Ray pointed out, through mental health and so on. You know, like the, these things will definitely affect productivity, which, you know, appeal to that with corporates. There's nothing wrong with accepting that's a corporate um, um, agenda, corporate goal. Ray said earlier, goals, which I think is a really, really important word. You know, and I think, I think those, those, those goals of corporates, understanding them and you accommodating them, can lead, I think, to your eventual 
um, raising of the money. But I know it's hard because ideally you want a couple of new clients, some products, and you want the fundraising all to come in next week and then bang, you can hire the great people you know you need, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, let, me, let me just also share and kind of add to that because I think that again, you're getting very good sound business strategic advice. From the communications perspective, what you want to do is start to look at building the profile of the business, right? Mm -hmm. So again, it's placing yourself with other influencers. Can you partner with any kind of government department? Can you speak, for example, to insurance companies about things like um, pre-loss? You know, again, working with a company like yours can help reduce healthcare costs for companies, for example. You know, starting to one of the things that I did with my business was looked at all the different professional organizations that I could link up with and I could speak at because that would put me in touch with decision makers. Now, it doesn't always work, right? I mean, it's like, you're, you, but the thing is that by strategically doing it, by reaching out to these organizations and speaking, by speaking on things like this podcast, for example, by appearing as an expert commentator in media, by doing my own podcast on things that are really important to me, I'm able to put myself out there and then make the connections. How you make those connections um, is a factor of the level of uh, like ability to communicate that story through different platforms. Somebody asked me this question earlier, like, you know, which social media platform uh, would you advocate? And I said that, you know, it ha you have to do what makes sense for you to reach those clients. Um, and then again, given the fact that you've got limited financial resources, you don't want to be blowing things on an ad budget or, you know, a digital marketing campaign when you're not at that point yet, right? That's where the money that you're looking for might help. Right now, as um, Simon says, you've got to start to look at maybe just getting a couple of home runs and then from there, um, building on that. But that's where, again, this is a perfect example of what we were talking about in the first segment. Companies like yourself need services like mine. They just don't know it. There's the idea like, oh, I, I need a business advisor. But the idea that communication can help actually save you money by directing you to those groups that might be able to put you in touch with you know, potential clients. So again, identifying what makes you unique, driving coordinated messaging, connecting different aspects of your offer linking that with that brand, that hope story, that brand, and then aligning messages through different people in your company, if it's just yourself or a few people, and then making sure that there's a consistent message that you're delivering, and then showcasing that through some of the wins and the proof points. Those, I think, would be the ways in which a communication strategy could align with what um, Simon's just talked about in terms of business strategy. I would just add, I mean, I've just posted up something I think is quite funny. I, I, I think you guys should merge and you'd have epic hope. <laughs> right. Uh, so, there you, there I you go. I mean, I think that now people are starting to kind of see, oh, okay, now I see the role of communication. Yeah, epic, epic hope. <laughs> when you're good at it, it, you make it look easy, right? Yeah, That's I'm... the point of this. When you're able to do it with the kind of fluidity that we have been through the experiences that we've had, people go, I could do that then they try it and it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing to kind of think about at this point is you're in a situation where people um, are focused on healthcare and on wellness and all those things that you have kind of been able to do by overcoming uh, your own battle with cancer fall into the idea right now of how 
is it that um, COVID and lockdowns, like the one that I'm in right now, are impacting people's mental health and aggravating potential conditions like cancers and other um, stress-related uh, illnesses, that, you know, stomach uh, diseases, things like that, that, you know, suicides, things like that. So that I think you've got a really good story, I think, aligning it. Another part of a communication strategy is to align it to something topical. So a post-pandemic recovery, you go and you talk to your CEO or your HR director. I mean, who? let me ask you a question. Who is your target within any organization? Like, who is the decision maker? for you to get that client? Who do you need to talk to? Uh, it is like uh, HRDs or CEOs is basically our target. It's interesting. So the HR usually has the money and the CEO might be kind of inspired by this, but then want to look at. So you've got two sort of messages. here. One that's kind of aligned with the idea of um, the productivity and the efficiency and the risk mitigation. And then you've got this sort of training aspect for HR that's going to look at, you know, recruitment, best employer and best practices, um, all kind of encapsulated in the post-pandemic recovery story, something like that. I mean, I'm just doing this off the top of my head, but I mean, if you, you know, really sat down and kind of planned it out, um, then I think you'd be able to kind of map it in a direction where you could take all that great energy and ideas and really focus it on the decision makers. I had the same problem. Like when I talked to um, insurance uh, companies, I had this great offer and it was all sort of like set up and I would go and I would talk to, like I had a crisis training, which I think is a fantastic program. But when I would go and I talk to people, I would be talking to these risk management people who are like, they totally get what I'm doing, but they, they don't control the budgets. They don't make decisions. So then I changed the, the, I worked with my partners, like let's talk to CEOs. So then we started to do it to CEOs. And then you got a little bit more success because they were like, oh, okay, I get what you're doing and I do have money. But a lot of them didn't, like the communications person. So then you had to get the communicate. So a lot of this is trial and error. So I think again, determining who you need to speak to and who pays for it in the organization um, and you know setting up meetings. And it's just a lot of, but, you know, a lot of times, um, same thing that I'm doing, you know, picking up the like, phone or in this case, you know, writing people, introducing myself, networking uh, after this, you know, creating some content for yourself, whether it's through media or whether it's through um, what I talked about earlier, bought, you know, paid for media, earned where someone interviews you or owned where you create your own little video or content about your business and share it. Um, that I think would be a worthwhile investment. And a lot of these tools um, for a business like yours, um, I mean, because you're doing everything on your own, you could probably be able to kind of put something together um, that is authentic, but still looks good and is able to reach those decision makers. I'll just add actually to what Ray's saying too, Candice, because I mean, I'm getting back to your, your question about you know what you need right now. Um, there's a couple of things First of all, what Ray's talking about there about identifying who you're targeting relates also to investors. I think yeah. one of the ways yeah. I think sales is best done is if you can do two sales in one meeting. So, so for example, if you, um, I've got someone in my mind as a client profile. So there's a guy called Simon Long, who, uh, I, was, who I had on my podcast show. He, uh, he runs a business called We Labs, so they're now the largest online bank in the world. They've got 43 million customers. 
Um, he has uh, grown incredibly in the last few years. And um, he ha he's, he's made lots of money. Um, I'm sure you won't mind me saying. Uh, and, he, and he has a really successful business and he privately owns it. He's got investors. And so I think someone like him could be quite an interesting investor because he could, he could not only invest in you, he could also bring your service to his company and, and add value to his business, right? Yeah. And, add, and look after his people, which he cares a lot about, I would add. But he also cares a lot about his customers. So, you know, I last count I looked, I, I might be getting this wrong. So if Simon listens to this later, forgive me, but you know, 5,000 employees, but and, and 43 million customers, you know, so an investor like that could bring a lot to the table, right? Yeah. And so, so I think if you can sell, you know, to one person who brings you customers internally, like you've got the corporate relationship and then brings you external customers, and then there's also an investor, that's interesting. And then the other type of a double selling profile you could think about is, um, one of my last businesses, uh, I think what made the business work was I brought on some partners in the business. And um, when they came on board, they invested in the business. So I showed them what I had put into the company. I said, look, this is what I put in. This is, you know, I, it's my idea, but you know, uh, this is what I did. And then when you come on board, you co-invest with me, we'll be co-founders in the business together. So in other words, I don't know what you're thinking of spending that 250 on, and maybe we don't have enough time to go through that now, but. Now, sometimes people allocate some of that money to hiring people, right? So if you can actually bring someone on, um, and, and I'm suddenly thinking, Ray, if you, can, if you can bring a partner on and do some sort of long-term deal where you can make them a trusted advisor or a partner or co-founder, you know, then, then you can reduce your cost because maybe they'll come on for either a lower salary or, or no salary as part of the investment and actually put capital into the business. So that's what happened in, in my case, and it proved to be a very successful formula. There's a lot of good people right now that don't have work. So this could be a good time for a strategy like that, because you now I was just looking, I don't know what talent you need to hire, but I was just looking at the Airbnb layoff num uh, talent. They've got a website, all the people they laid off. My yeah. mind was blown. I was looking through that list, thinking of all the companies I could create around those talented people, you know? So, yeah. so it's just another strategy to think about, you know, so you've got the kind of client investor type, and then you've got the, the, the potential um, help you resources wise, join your team, either as a, you know, a trusted advisor or, or as a, you know, a co-founder operating partner. Yeah. Yeah. Very good ideas. Um, I love the kind of doubling up the two sales in one. That's a great idea. Um, and I'd love an intro, Simon, if that's possible. Sure. Well, um, I won't promise because I don't want. Let's look through the deck and we'll talk about it. Uh, and, because uh, again, with, with these people, we get one shot as well. So yeah. I uh, don't want to bother them without knowing. But sure, I mean, he's very approachable. Go listen to his podcast. You'll see what I mean. He's he's such a down to earth, nice person. Um, I'm I'm sure he'd be very excited about what you're doing. Just need to make sure there's there's there's, there's a good strong reason to bring him in and okay. how it would work. So let's talk about that for sure. Any other questions of myself or Ray or the audience listening before before we end today's podcast? Um, just thank you guys so much for your time. I've really appreciated being on here. And um, yeah, thanks so much for having me. I actually did my MBA with Jeff Lynn. Um, so, <laughs> so it's a bit- you MBA with him, oh, then you know him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, then, you, you know, tap him up. He's got yeah, companies to know. <laughs> Have you tapped him up? I have, I have sent him a few messages. Yeah, he's a yeah, you, great you guy. Say, hey, just listen to your podcast on the Good Luck Club. It was so good. Uh, P.S. Give me two fifty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. um, and and you know he, he's a good example. He he, he Revolut, uh, one of the companies they helped fund. He's got the relationship with those guys, right? Revolut should be your client. 
right? Yep. Yep. So work yep. that network a bit more. I mean, that's that's. Um, I threw him out like you know, look who I know, and look, you were you did an MBA with him, so um, it, it's uh, he's a great guy as well, very very he's nice. Person. So yeah, definitely. He, he will love your story, I think, and um, I'm, I'm sure uh, have many ways to help you raise the money. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and get out there and start telling your story um, any way that you can. Leverage any kind of platform that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the thing about like social media platforms is it does they do provide instant communication and instant feedback. So if you can build a little following um, around that, the other thing to think about is do a little podcast. You know, bring on other cancer survivors. Bring on some of the businesses. Um, people love being interviewed. You know, if you want a client, instead of actually trying to pitch the client, bring them onto your podcast and talk to them about like what kind of needs, you know, what sort of productivity are you lacking? How has COVID impacted your business? Do you think that there's uh, uh, some mental health issues? How do you think we can reduce those risks? Uh, oh, by the way, um, some of the services that we're talking, you know, again, position your less sales and more positioning. And I think that you would be in a better position to, um, Get a little bit more experience in talking about your company, a little bit more fluidity in it, and then I think it would be a little bit more convincing to those um, uh, people with the, with the open up their wallets. Yeah, uh, podcast is a lot of work. One more thing, though. Yeah. Um, but if you do want to do a podcast, I, I, I have all the knowledge on that. We can we can give you that insight. It, it, it is, uh, but it is a lot of work. But certainly, to raise point, creating um, your own platform, whether that's a blog. Yeah. Uh, that's a group um, that can be very, very powerful um, for sure. Because you've got such an amazing story. I mean, again, I think it's an authentic story. Mm. It's something that uh, is part of the business. It's the reason behind the business without overselling it. Mm. Um, I think that it just gives you a little bit more authenticity um, when it comes to uh, enter, you know, working with clients as opposed to somebody who's like maybe a kind of, you know, change management person or whatever, whoever. Well, let me ask you another question. Who are your main competitors in this? Because that's, just, I think, an important thing to understand. Um, yeah, we have, uh, I guess there's the world of employee wellness and benefits. So there's a lot of now kind of tech mental health startups um, right. connecting people through Slack to therapists, um, that kind of thing. Um, there's also, I mean, there are a few American companies that are really our, um, the, kind of what we aspire to be. So there's a company called Omada Health um, that operates in the States that is focused on diabetes and weight loss and uses a similar model of kind of B2B with coaching and hardware scales and stuff like that. We really want to be Omada for Europe with a wider holistic whole body focus, not just weight loss and not just diabetes. Um, so we really think there is a gap in the market for that um, particularly. That's your story. This is your story. See? <laughs> yeah. No, serious. Like I think again, um, figuring out how to position, that's your story. Yeah. Where do you fit in the marketplace? What is that sweet spot? I mean, I find the same thing when I'm you know, pitching against big agencies. Why would you want to work with me? And I do have a pitch. Um, and I think it's really important to kind of look at it and say who you are and who you're not. You know, yeah. you aren't a, you aren't, I mean, like one of the things that, that came out and, and a lot of the sort of um, brand work that I was doing when I was um, consulting for uh, some of the bigger, fast moving consumer goods companies was the competitors, you know, and the competitors you don't know. And the example that was often given was like breweries, right? Like the, 
the big breweries like Budweiser or Molson, they're not competing against, like they don't have to worry about each other. They have to worry about those microbreweries, right? Because they specialize in one or two things. They really know their customers. They deliver a superior product uh, at a more competitive price. They're much more accessible. They seem cooler and hipper, much more flexible. So I think that that I think is something to consider again when you're trying to position yourself. And to Simon's point, get a couple of home runs, win those clients, because no one's going to want to invest in a company that doesn't have a track record already based on I have this great idea. Yeah, and a great story. Yeah. So I'll just I'll just finalize to say that um, you're getting a lot of love online too, by the way. People are loving what you're doing. And, and, uh, great story. It's, you, you've got a great um, personality and a great personal story and you just yeah. really kind of exude um, authenticity. So I think that that is obviously going to come out in any pitch. Oh, it's just making you. sure that you align all the different parts of your business so that when you get some of those tough questions, which is, this will never work, will it? Um, that you're able to to, um, to to reframe it and risk it, the whole story. On, on the comm side, just I would add one bit of experience that I've had, um, especially when you mentioned earlier about a lack of resources or feeling like you haven't got enough uh, resources. One yeah. way is to make sure that when you're focusing in on your communication strategy, that you focus in on what you like to do. So, you know, if you like the idea of doing a podcast, then it won't feel like work and you won't feel strained and it will be enjoyable. Yeah. How I feel about it. But when I've actually looked at the amount of work involved, the output, it's, 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 is it worth it? But I enjoy it. So I say that about social media channels. Like I really enjoy TikTok. I enjoy going on that platform. Are you on that platform, Candice? Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, my, my, my main point, my, I think we could do a duet and I could promote you on there a little bit, but, oh, but cool. the point I'm, I'm making is not um, use TikTok, although I think it's a good platform, is you know, maybe sometimes it is a question of just picking the things that you enjoy doing. So, you know, yeah. doing social media isn't the only way to get business. And certainly a B2B, I would argue that it could be a big distraction. If you're after corporate clients, LinkedIn and or direct relationships and hustling with the network you've already got, is the yeah. best way forget social media you know yeah. forget it and and so um you know i can see a social media a place i don't know if you follow humans of new york do you what do you yeah yeah I love that, you know but i could see that type of thing for you uh, as, mm -hmm. as almost like um you, maybe a photographer who, who you know who's a friend as a hobby you know they they do the stories of your of, of people that have broke uh, had hope and, and found hope, you know, I love that whole hope feed. Con but again, all of these ideas, I think sometimes, you know, the, the, there's so many things you can do today. The thing to do is back it into like your partner, Christine, what she likes, you know, what you like, and then almost reverse engineer it from raised communication strategy back outwards that way, because then it will not be painful. You won't be yeah. forcing yourself to do videos if you don't enjoy it or, or going on TikTok uh, uh, if you don't enjoy it. <laughs> I'm doing TikTok videos at midnight because I enjoy it. You know, I'm not. I'm not thinking. Well, I better do that bloody TikTok thing now. Yeah. Someone told me in my strategy that's where my audience is. So yeah. here I go doing it. You know, I'm like it's midnight. I'm going to do a TikTok. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, definitely. I'm. I'm very lucky to have Christine because she has a super. Uh, she has 20 years experience in content marketing, so she's like right. leading the charge on our comms and. Um, and content strategy. So I'm kind of in her hands, whatever she tells me to do. <laughs> Luck is a skill, remember that. Luck is a yeah. skill. And yeah. funnily enough, someone just asked me, I'm getting loads of questions and I think we're running out of time, but um, 
uh, 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 someone called Bright Eyes, who's a big social media influencer on TikTok, is asking, how do you attract the perfect business partner? So actually a good question. How, how did you find your business partner? We actually went on the Antler Innovation Accelerator program in London this year. So we started in March and the whole point of that program is you don't need to come with an idea and you hopefully meet your perfect co-founder on that program. So they kind of handpick and curate the people who attend. Um, and yeah, that's where we met, which is great. And um, yeah, I know how hard it is to find a co-founder in by yourself in the real world. So I feel very lucky to have met Christine there. Yeah, well, that, that you, you've highlighted for my audience listening as well, um, you know, that there's lots of programs out there these days to get help. You just need to make a bit of an effort. I read on your LinkedIn about how you quit your job to go and do that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> well, that was quite inspiring. And um, yeah, I, I always like the quit the job stories, I must admit. Yeah. <laughs> going, yeah going quit the job before a big pandemic was the... Uh... <laughs> oh, it's, you know, perfect timing, if you ask me. You know, perfect exactly. Timing. But, uh, well, but, but actually, it is perfect timing if you look at it from the standpoint of is there a need in the marketplace for this type of um, counseling or professional service? I think absolutely. Yeah. A lot of businesses probably needed it, but they didn't know they needed it. Yeah. Now, I think there's this awareness of, oh, geez, like our employees, if we want to keep them, we have to be able to kind of make sure that they're, you know, grounded, that, you know, that, that this is, that yeah. we can outsource all of that to a professional services organization yeah. and, and the they're an outsider they're, they're able to feedback information on you know who we're getting and things like that yeah well it's wonderful to talk to you both um ray thanks for coming on and sharing your knowledge i know uh, how in demand and how busy you are so um and and candice your story is amazing i'm i'm we're here for you me my community even ray now i do i do see a you know epic hope being a big brand so i'd like to see you guys. <laughs> Do don't that. be afraid to reach out. Yeah, don't yeah. be afraid. And all the links, uh, for anyone listening, uh, well, for all you guys listening, uh, the links are below uh, to both Candace's business and Ray's business. So um, I'm sure um, um, and they would love uh, love to hear from you guys. And, and, and please, if you do have any ways you could help either of them or they could help you, uh, reach out. But guys, thanks very much for coming on today and, and sharing your stories and knowledge. Thanks Wonderful. again and Thank Merry Christmas. Time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's Christmas crazy, isn't it? Yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'll see you guys soon. Thank All you. Right. There you go, guys. That's our podcast show for today. We're well on our way to help a million people start a business of their own. Even with my dogs barking in the background, um, hundreds of you managed to stay on and listen. So thank you very much for that. I hope you found the insights useful today. I saw a lot of questions we didn't get to but I will go and individually reply to those questions now. So um, thanks for asking them, and I appreciate you guys coming on. If you have knowledge and you want to share it with the world and help people start a business of their own, then reach out to us through simonscribd.com. If you feel that you need some help with your business, either to start it or to grow it, feel free to reach out to us again, either through the purposefulproject.com or simonscribd.com. We will help you. If you've enjoyed today's broadcast, hit subscribe, do a share so other people can hear it. And don't forget to set the alarm, I think it's called, on most platforms so that when we go live, you know it. It seems that apparently 72% of people that subscribe to us haven't done that, so you don't know when we go live. So please do that and, and do me a big favor. Comment below and let us know if our broadcast today was useful to you and what you would like to hear from us in the future to help make your business life more successful. Have a wonderful day, folks, wherever you are in the world. Enjoy it.